It's good to have Jen back, isn't it? Did she find out? <laughs> so if you missed last week, I asked her brother. I asked her brother what uh, if he had one word to describe his sister, what it would be, and he gave a great answer. So, but you'll have to find out what that is from them if you missed. So. It was fantastic. I love the family dynamics within our church, and even in our staff, so it's good stuff. Hey, uh, if, uh, if you've got a Bible, go ahead and get it out. Uh, we're, uh, we're looking today in the book of Acts. If you don't have a Bible, our ushers will bring you one. Uh, we'd love for you to have one. If you don't own a Bible or you don't have one here to use, our ushers will bring you one and uh, just raise your hand and throw it up there and they'll get you one. Uh, at least Huggy Bear will. So... Uh, but yeah, anybody need a Bible? Get a Bible. Don't make, don't make the man just walk for nothing, you know. But uh, now we're going to Acts chapter 8. We'd love for you to follow in with us. Uh, we finished last week our series of, of, of seeing Christ through the Old Testament, uh, in which we've been doing for a year and a half. Uh, and uh, excited uh, to get to just being able to kind of do some different stuff for a little bit. And then we're working on some series stuff for the fall, some things that we're going to do. Uh, that uh, hopefully will be helpful and good for us as a body and all that kind of stuff too. So, uh, but uh, yeah, um, but uh, this passage has been one of those passages for some reason uh, that God's just been putting it on my heart. I don't really know why. I haven't studied it in a while, uh, and just even riding down the road, I've just like over and over. I've been I've been hearing this passage, and uh, in this passage we see that we see this awesome picture of baptism, but. Uh, and, and, and I don't know if that was it or whatever, but uh, along the way, I, I just I felt led to, to study on it, and then as I did, felt led to teach on it, and, uh, and so today, uh, I'll be doing that. And uh, honestly, you know, it's like three or four stories in one, you know, when you really break it down, and I should probably pick one and go with it, but instead, I'm going to teach them all, uh, which is, you know, sometimes a dangerous thing when uh, a preacher will do that because sometimes it means that uh, you'll be the last person to the catfish house. Uh, so uh, hopefully you won't be the last person to the catfish house today. And if you are, uh, I'm sure the beans will still be warm for you. Man, their beans are amazing, aren't they? Man, I could eat some of those beans right now. Here's the, here's the truth. If, if I eat those beans for Sunday lunch, by the time we gather with microchurch that night... It is game over for anybody that's around me. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you. I don't mind. Don't mind telling you. Uh, so Acts chapter eight, and uh, let, let's kind of to to kind of lead up to to where we are in Acts chapter eight, and and what's happened just before this. This is kind of the beginning of the early church. We're seeing. The beginnings of the church, and I love, you know, love getting to study that. I love getting to see how God brings His church together and and does this through all these knuckleheads and stuff. And uh, you know, when we see Acts chapter eight, I think we kind of have to know kind of what's just happened, and and that's that. You know, obviously Jesus has come. Uh, he's he's given his life, literally his whole life, and uh, to you know never fall into sin. So he lived a perfect life, which made him the perfect lamb. If you've never put all those things together making him the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And that's why we can't do that because none of us are perfect. Uh, and so, um, so Jesus comes, has ministry, dies on the cross, raises, rises again three days later. So we've got the empty tomb, uh, defeats death on our behalf that we, if we trust in him, uh, that we may be saved, that we may be forgiven of sin and all that stuff. We'll be talking about some of those things today. And, um, 
you know, so we've got, we've got kind of this whole picture of, of that going on. And then, and then he, he kind of gives some commands when he comes back from the dead before he goes back to be with the Father. And, um, you know, he's, he's kind of telling, you know, may the gospel go out to the ends of the earth, uh, to all of Judea and Samaria and all these things. We're going to see even some of that stuff in this passage get played out, which is pretty cool. But it was a very volatile situation as well. And here's why. A lot of people were not, were not crazy about the idea that there's this Jesus who's the son of God and that he's come to save and all this kind of stuff. You got you to gotta think like, you know, think about like, you know, uh, people that think they've got it all figured out. You, you're, you, hopefully you're not one of those people that think you've got it all figured out. Jesus is calling right there. Um, and, uh, but, uh, uh, you know, you think about like people and teachers back then who were teaching and trying to understand God's word and what they had been teaching up to that point. They didn't have a full understanding of what God was doing and for them sometimes to trust in this understanding that God sent his son and died and all this stuff was hard for some of them. They were like, well, that's a new thing. And I don't, I'm, I'm not about that. I'm not about new things because we got it all figured out over here. This is, we got to follow the law. Well, as we all know, Jesus came to fulfill the law. He came uh, to do what we couldn't do and all that in keeping the law. So um, teaching Jesus made that a very volatile situation because uh, the higher up, especially teachers and members of the, of the church and that kind of thing, the temple, uh, you know, were pushing on uh, politicians and other people that were in power to, you know, we got we to gotta get rid of these people that are teaching this new stuff because it doesn't jive with exactly everything I've been teaching along the way, and there's surely no way that I've been wrong all this time. You know, so that's kind of that's kind of what's what's happened, and that's kind of what's made the landscape what it is. So literally, people were teaching about Jesus, knowing that they might they might endanger their lives in doing so. So we've got a guy named Stephen who is in the chapter right before this, chapter seven. And you've probably heard about the stoning of Stephen. Well, that's in chapter 7. In fact, the, the chapter ends with the stoning of Stephen. Stephen was a guy who God had saved, and he was telling everybody he could about Jesus. And basically, he got swept up in one of these you know, volatile situations where they start coming after him, and then they literally stone him to death. Now, we've got Paul, Saul, same guy, that we're going to see him here as Saul here in just a minute. Uh, but we know him as Paul, who God used to pen half of the New Testament and writing these letters to the churches and all this kind of stuff. So we don't usually see Saul, Paul, in the picture of what happened to Stephen and his being stoned to death. But the truth is it doesn't. And you got to keep in mind that with Scripture, we've got chapter numbers and verse numbers, but that's stuff that we've added in, okay? And so, you know, it's just, it's just reading straight through. And if you read straight through from chapter 7 into chapter 8, the very first verse, and this gets left out a lot when people teach about Stephen and his stoning to death, um, because they don't, they don't think to go into chapter 8 and see what's going on. But very first thing in chapter 8, verse 1, we'll go ahead and read it right here. It says, Acts 8, verse 1, it says, And Saul approved of his execution. Saul approved of his execution. So, talking about the same Saul who later becomes Paul. 
And we're talking about that he himself, and we knew this, was a killer of Christians. He was, he was persecuting Christians. And it'll go on, it'll read a little more of that here in just a minute. We'll see that in just a minute. And it brings about this question today that I want to pose to you. And it's, this, it's probably the most important question that you could ask in your life. That's a big statement. The question is this. Who is the one that God can't save? Who is it that God can't save? What type of man can God not save? We're going to seek to answer that question through the studying of his word today in Acts 8. It goes on in Acts 8, verse 1, after it says, And Saul approved of his execution... It says, and there rose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. So we see, we see something that we've seen a whole bunch, and we've seen it, we saw it a whole bunch through the Old Testament, something that happens quite often, is God scattering his people. Why, why does God do this? I mean, I'm, I'm like, I love like, you know, I want, I want everybody to like make the ride, like everybody stay here. I hate when people have to move away. I hate when I make friends with somebody and then they got to like move away. I mean, that's like the worst thing ever. Like, I don't know if you feel that way. I feel that way. Just, you know, I just wish, you know, all, everybody could just, you know, be together and let's just be happy and everything's fine, you know, and cut out the drama. That's impossible. But I, you know, that's, that's my wishes. That's my utopia, I guess. So, but, uh, but yeah, so God scatters his people. Why does he scatter his people? Why does he do that? Why doesn't he just let us be? Well, probably because we would be great at being like the, you know, creating our little Christian bubbles and, you know, and then, you know, we would hear these teachings and begin to understand who God is better. And then what? Just keep it to ourselves? God would scatter his people so that the gospel would go out. God still scatters people so that his gospel will go out. At times, he calls people, leads people to go somewhere else. Maybe he led, he's led some of you to even be here. I've had people tell me, God, God is leading our family to be here, leading me to be here. Uh, I'm supposed to be a part of even this area, this community, that the gospel might go out, that God may use me here. This is where we're called to be. It goes on, it says um, that he, he scattered uh, the people throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles, which is cool. And in verse 2, it says this, it says, devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. They were tore up about his death. In verse 3, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison where likely many of them would die. So basically, Saul at this point is basically just trying to eradicate anybody that is teaching the name of Jesus as being God, as being the Son of God, as being the way, as being the only reason, you know, all, all of these things. Everything we just sing about, if, if Saul was here, he'd be coming in, guns a-blazing with all of his crew, and they'd be wanting to haul us off. That, that's, a, that's a different world than what we live in, isn't it? I mean, that's a, that's, a different, that's a different faith than what most of us live in. We're not generally concerned about like people coming after us literally, physically for our faith. That may change in time. 
goes on in verse 4 and it says this. It says, now those who were scattered went out, went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. Now let me, let me talk about the Samaria thing for just a minute. This is a big deal because this is part of the fulfilling of what Jesus had said just before he went back to be with the Father. I think it's Acts 1.8. And uh, he talks about how, you know, that the gospel needs to go out and will go out uh, to the ends of the earth, uh, to all of Judea and even Samaria. Now, Samaria, you know, to, to me and you, we don't think much about Samaria. We hear about Samaritans. We think about the Good Samaritan, which, by the way, the picture of the Good Samaritan is a great picture for us today because it was like, you know, you got these good people, a guy like a priest and whatever that walked by the guy who needs help, and then who stopped? The Good Samaritan. It's not the good priest or the good Jewish guy. It's the Good Samaritan. That's, that's, and, and to kind of put this in context for us, this is more like a race issue, okay? And, and the deal is, is that Samaria was a group of people, it was a people who were what they would have called half-breeds. You know, some of them might have been partial Jewish, but they also had been, they had mixed, you know, they had, you know, taken up, you know, having families with somebody of a different race. So this is a racism issue, you know, a lot of this was Samaria. And so the people, the people of God even, and I didn't realize that they were doing the wrong thing, or some of them probably did, but maybe not all of them, uh, because they were the way they were raised and that kind of thing. But basically, they looked down on the people of Samaria. We don't go to Samaria. We don't want to have anything to do with the people of Samaria. So when Jesus is throwing down, hey, the, to the uttermost ends of the earth, even Samaria, this is... This happening, this is what Jesus said was going to happen. This is that beginning to happen right here. And it's basically this picture of that. And, and for us today, I think even be able to look at it and go that this is, there's this calling that's out there that came from Jesus, not just for Philip, not just for the early church, but for all of us that everybody should hear the gospel. And with the gospel, they should get the love of Christ. They should get the love of God's people coming with the gospel. That's, that's many times how we get to share the gospel is we love on people, we care for them, we minister to them, and through that, they're kind of like, what, what's the deal with you? Why, are you, you know, why do you care? And then, and then we're able to share, well, let me tell you what God's done in my life. This is who Jesus is. This is what he's done. So Philip has gone to Samaria which was, you know, huge taboo kind of deal to be going there and, and sharing with them. But he goes and he proclaims to them the Christ, as it says in verse 5. And then in verse 6, it says, And the crowds with one accord, and you hear that, hear that, like this, this is like a God moment. And, and I think it'd be real easy just to kind of even skip over it and miss it. But it says, And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. When they heard him and saw the signs that he did. In other words, like all of the people that God you know, allowed him to get to speak to while he's here in this place, I mean, they're not just listening. They're, they're tuned in listening. And then something's about to happen. It says, verse 7, it says, For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them. So in other words, like, like we got like demon possession stuff, like 
being boom, like, like they're hearing the gospel and, and all of a sudden, all of this stuff that's going on in their lives is changing, came out of them who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. So Philip, Philip goes and he shares Jesus, and demons end up getting cast out. People end up getting healed, and Jesus tells them, remember this? Jesus tells the apostles, he's like, look dudes, you guys are going to go in my name and you're going to heal people in my name. There's going to be a great, great things that happen, and from it, those people will know me. And it goes on, verse 9, it says this, it says, But there was a man named Simon, who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria. So we've got a magician now, okay? Magician Simon here, working Vegas, throwing the cards. And he says, it says, saying that he himself was somebody great. So Simon had been calling himself somebody great to the people and says, they all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. So the P had, he had the people snowed. I mean, like he had them believing that he was it, you know? He had them believing that he, that he really, you know, his sleight of hand was so good that he was like, you know, I've got these people buying, buying what I'm selling, and he is selling them that he, as it says, that he is something great. He, is, he himself was somebody great. So it's verse 10, they all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man as the power of God is called great. So literally... They were believing in him to have like power of God type stuff going on. I was just reading one of those things last night about, uh, I think it was like Chris Angel or something where it's like, you know, here's the, here's the how they did the tricks kind of thing. I'm sure those guys love that. You know, when like, when like the internet is revealing how they do all their tricks, you know, love it. I got, I got a friend of mine who is a magician and, uh, he, you know, he, he's great with sleight of hand stuff and whatever. And I've seen him like doing rants on Facebook or whatever. Like, I can't believe all these guys are out there telling all of our tricks. You know, I'm like, dude, we knew it was a trick, you know. Maybe you didn't know. Sorry. You do now. And it goes on, it says, and they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But, verse 12, but when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. So now all these people that have been hearing have started believing. And not only have they believed, but they're wanting to tell the world by being baptized, I now am a follower of Jesus. That's what baptism is, in case you didn't know. Let me give you a little baptism 101 right quick. You know, when we see baptism in Scripture, a lot of, and, there's, and there's a lot of people that think that you've got to be saved, uh, that you've got to be baptized to be saved, and that's not, that's, not, that's not biblical. Baptism is something that we do because of what God has done in us, and it is a showing the world of who He is, the death and resurrection, and old life and a new life. It is representation of what God has done in our life. If I dunk you in the water... That doesn't do you any good unless you've believed in Jesus and trusted in him to be your Savior. goes on, it says, Even Simon himself, Mr. David Copperfield, has believed. 
And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So let me kind of, kind of time out for you a second so you can kind of follow what's going on. So these people have begun to believe, but they've yet to receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, now this is not something that we just see. Okay, like when, when you believed in the Lord, you received the Holy Spirit. Okay, if you truly believed in the Lord and you were saved and you got the Holy Spirit, I mean, boom, that's it. Okay, but now in this situation, there's a whole group of people here in Samaria that did not. Now, there's a lot of speculation of exactly why God did this this way, but I think most people land on the understanding that because Samaria was kind of its own thing and kind of off to itself, that God wanted the apostles to be the ones to bring them the Holy Spirit, so that, number one, that they would see that they are a part of the larger church, okay? But then also, so that they would hear what they were teaching and go, these are the guys we need to trust, because this would have been, a, this would have been like a perfect moment for a segue of like, hey, we're going to go off over here in left field and kind of create our own little religion thing. And God didn't want that to happen. He wanted them to receive the Holy Spirit, hear the teaching uh, of God's word, uh, and all of this continuing on what Philip had already started and built on. And so the apostles come to town. We got Peter and John. They come to town. They do laying on of hands. And when they do, these people receive the Holy Spirit. Well, Mr. Magician, he's going to have something to say about that, as you could imagine, because that seems cool to a magician, right? Verse 18. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, money, saying, give me this power also so that anyone on whom I lay, hand, my, lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. So we've got the magician, he sees what's going on, and he's like, I don't have that trick in my bag. I need that. He's like, guys, guys, come over here. Let me, let me do something for you. I mean, you know, let's, let's do something here. Let me, let me give you some money, and I want to I wanna buy that. I want to buy that trick. I wanna, first of all, I want to have that power, it says. I want to have that power. I want to be able to do that too. Well, he's about to get a rebuke. Verse 20. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money you have neither part nor lot in this matter for your heart is not right before God repent therefore of its wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible the intent of your heart may be forgiven you for I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity and Simon answered this is his response, which is a good response to have, by the way. He says, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now, he may be saying that just because he's trying to save his bacon. We don't really know where Simon is with this. We, we think he has believed, but, uh, you know, maybe he was going with the flow. We don't really know. I mean, it's a testimony, 
you know, that was penned. You know, we don't really know what was happening in Simon's life. I don't know. I mean, you may be my best friend, and I may not truly know whether or not you really know the Lord or not. I may see uh, fruit from your life that makes me believe you do, and I hope that you do, and I pray that you do. When I was um, a kid, and I grew up a, a pastor's son and all that, so grew up in the church and, you know, cut my teeth on picking locks in the church and stuff like that, and, uh, which is great, by the way. I loved doing I did that for one of our kids uh, at Super Summer uh, here just the other day, and they were, I was like, I think there's brooms in that closet, and they were like, oh, that's locked. I was like, it won't be in just a minute, and then uh, literally like, whoop, open. They were like, oh my gosh, you got to teach me how to do that. And I was like, no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> uh, and so uh, we've got some of our super summer friends here today. So very, very fitting to be able to tell that. But anyway, when I was a kid, uh, you know, I, I, I heard about all you could hear about Jesus. And when I was pretty young, I felt like I needed to do what everybody else was doing. I'd see people walk down front in a church service and I'd see them like tell people that they loved Jesus. And then I'd see them get wet in a baptistry. It was like behind the choir, you know, and uh, which was always awesome whenever people were getting baptized and people in the choir were getting splashed. I love that. That was like, that's awesome, splash zone. And so, uh, you know, but so I, you know, I, I realized, you know, people would go down front, they'd say they love Jesus. Um, they uh, would get wet, and then at the end of the day, uh, everybody was happy, and they weren't going to hell, okay? Everybody was happy, and they weren't going to hell. And I thought to myself as a kid, I want people to be happy, and I don't want to go to hell. I'll go down front. So I went down front. I went down front. I told my dad, I'm like, I love Jesus. People are crying. I'm like, cool. People are already happy. This is awesome, you know? Dairy Queen after church tonight. You know, that's what I'm thinking. I mean, it's a small town, Kentucky, you know? Yes, ice cream cakes. And so, uh, <laughs> you had to do that. And so, uh, so yeah, so I, you know, I did this. Well, then for the next several years of my life, I went on kind of believing that I was saved, okay? But then in, God bless it, of all places, Panama City at a camp, uh, at a student camp when I was between my eighth grade and freshman year of high school. Um, and I think that scenario probably had a lot to do with me becoming a youth pastor later. Um, God began to show me, Chris, you know a lot about me, but you don't know me. And he spoke to my heart. I mean, I knew it. Like I knew, like I, and I thought, Man, I gotta eat some crow because I've been telling all these people that I'm saved. And God saved me and He changed my life that day. I don't know what was happening with Simon the Magician. Can't pretend to know. You could only speculate. But I think it's important to see the struggle with salvation sometimes that people have and hear those types of stories because I think there are a lot of people who are banking on something that they did being their way to heaven, being their way to God. And, and Peter's coming strong and he's like, buddy, there is no thing that you can do. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. You can't be good enough for it. 
You need Jesus. Believe in him. Trust in him. That's the only way. You see, we can't buy it. It's a gift. And if you believe in it, then you can receive it. Verse 25, it goes on, it says, Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. So they're going on, they're continuing on in this journey. They basically got, uh, you know, this, this thing going where they're just traveling from town to town and they're trying to tell everybody they can about Jesus. Man, I, to have been a fly on the wall, I would have loved to have seen and heard, just been able to get to be a part of like seeing God do that. At a moment in time when people had never heard the name of Jesus and all, I mean, it's just amazing to think about. And, and we have opportunities like that. Did, did you know this? We have more opportunities like that than what we, what we think. There's, there's a family in our church. I'll, uh, I'll tell you who they are. Chris and Sherry Wright. They don't mind me telling this. And they grew up in Cheatham County. Cheatham County. They grew up in Cheatham County. Years ago, we did a block party out here in the middle of Pleasant View, and they came to it. We invited them to come to church. We were new. We were meeting at the school at that time, and they'll even tell you their, their marriage was in a real bad place. And we just happened to be teaching a series at that time about marriage and you know, trying to follow the Lord with that and whatnot. They came to that deal. They'll tell you this if you can ask them. They love telling it. And... Not only did they stay married, but they, they came to know the Lord. They heard the name of Jesus. Did you know that up until that point, they had never heard about Jesus? Cheatham County never heard about Jesus. Folks, if, if you want to believe that everybody that lives around you has already heard the gospel, that is a lie from the pit of hell. Don't believe that. People need to see and hear of what God has done in our lives. And for us to get to share that with others is, is our biggest chance to get to uh, allow us to share the gospel with other people. Verse 26, it goes on here, it says, now, the angel, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, and this is pretty crazy, Philip's, you know, he's traveling. An angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and, and go toward the south uh, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. Okay? In verse 28 it says, And was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him, and heard him reading Isaiah, the prophet, and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And the, and the guy turns and looks at Philip, and he, and he says this. This is a great statement, by the way. He says, how can I unless someone guides me? How can I unless someone guides me? Folks, let me... Let me help you to understand something that is very important to our walk with the Lord. And I don't care if you've been a Christian for your entire life and you're a billion years old, okay? And I don't care if you've been a Christian for five days or five minutes. 
one of the most important things that we have to know that we see over and over in Scripture is our call to be a part of community with believers within the church. Like, we are not called to just go to church. If, listen, if, we're, if this is all about just coming to a Sunday morning thing, we might as well shut the doors and go home now. This is about being a part of a family, relationships with other people who are pushing us toward Jesus. When he says, how can I let someone guides me, is just one more of those pieces that I see in Scripture where God is helping us to see we need each other. And it is more important than what we want to think it is. And, it, and I know it's work, and I know it's time, and I know for some people it's uncomfortableness or whatever it is, but I'm here to tell you, we can't do this alone. We can't do it alone. You'll hear here in the next couple months, you'll hear us talking about micro churches. We're going to be pushing micro churches. We've got new micro churches that are going to be starting. You're also going to hear about, and this is why I'm telling this, this little piece that's a part of that also that we're going to be encouraging people to get together in twos or threes during the week to check on each other, but also, you know what, to just study the word together. To just study the word together, to be able to do what, what, what this guy is asking Philip. He's like, how can I unless somebody guides me? And here's the deal. we got to quit looking at discipleship like it's like one really knowledgeable person and then a bunch of people down here who are a bunch of like biblical dummies. we got to quit looking at it like that. we got to start looking at it like we all are coming together. We're all pushing each other together equally to understand the word of God. I mean, that's so big for us. Folks, I, every, every, day, every time I spend time in God's Word, I walk away going, how did, I, how did I not get that before? How did I not know that before? There is no like point of like, I have arrived, you know? Go to, go to a lot of pastors' offices, you'll see their offices, you'll see like they're, you know, they got the things on the walls and that stuff. Listen, every one of them, just like me and you, like looking to seek Jesus to understand who God is better in our lives. Now, it says this. It says, and he invited, the eunuch, invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this. Okay, talking about Isaiah. All right. Here's the passage. And, of course, it's pointing toward Jesus, just like we've just spent a year and a half trying to help everybody understand. Like, all, all Scripture's pointing to Jesus. Here we go. It says, like a sheep that was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation, for his life is taken away from the earth? And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or someone else? This is the eunuch's like, here's your layup for the gospel. All right? I don't know if you ever get those sometimes. Like, every once in a while you get, you get one of those, like, here's a layup for the gospel kind of thing. I get some of those. You know, every once in a while, and it's like, here's the moment. They, they just straight ask a question that's going to lead into me describing what this is all about. Let's see how Philip does. Verse 35 then Philip opened his mouth. That's a good place to start. And beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. 
And as they were going along the road, they came to, some, came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into water, into the water, and Philip, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Astosis. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So we've got this beautiful picture where like Philip, Philip gets to share the gospel with this guy. And this guy believes in who Jesus is and the work that God has done in sending his son to save us from our sin, to offer forgiveness for every stupid thing we've ever done in our life. And he's like, what's keeping me from being baptized? There's some water. Maybe, maybe you're here. Maybe you've never been baptized. Or maybe, maybe you're like me. Maybe I, you know, when I was a kid and I made that decision and I got baptized, you know, I realized later, I was like, you know, baptism is about telling people that God has changed my life. And God, God convicted my heart at that point in time that when I was actually saved, that I should tell the world, I know I told you before I was saved, but I wasn't, and so I'm going to eat crow, and I'm going to tell you now that I really am, and I want to follow through baptism for real. Tell the world, Jesus is my Savior. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're in some boat like that. Let me just say this. We'll baptize somebody any time. You know, we just want to talk to you about it. We'd love to counsel with you about it and just check and make sure that you understand what that's about. We want people to, to understand the biblical meanings of things like baptism. So, who's the person that God can't save? Who's the person that God can't save? We've got pictures of all kinds of people in this one chapter alone. By the way, the following chapter, if you're wanting something to read maybe this afternoon or tonight or tomorrow or something to study on, the next, the next following bits here, we get to see Saul saved. The man who was killing Christians, you know, is the man who God changes his life. So we've got Saul approving of executions. We've got um, Philip going to Samaria where you've got large group of people who basically everybody didn't want to have anything to do with, okay, so unclean or however they looked at it, you know, you've got that going on. And then we've got Simon the magician who's told everybody that he's the greatest. And then he's believed and then he's turning around trying to buy the Holy Spirit <laughs> into his life so that he can basically use that power on other people. And then you've got the eunuch on the road trying to understand what Isaiah is talking about. I want to read to you this. John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verse 16. You've heard it a thousand times. Maybe, maybe not. But I want to read a little further, and I want to point out a couple of words to you, and hopefully that God speaks to your heart about what this is. John three sixteen. it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever, who Ever, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 
For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Verse 18. Whoever, whoever, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever, whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the, hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But, verse 21, whoever, whoever, does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Now I want to skip to verse 36. Verse 36 says this. Surprise, surprise. Whoever, 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 whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does what is true I'm sorry, whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. You see, there's two categories of whoever. There's whoever believes, and there's whoever does not. I want to ask you this question. Which one are you in? Do you believe? Listen, don't hang your hat on something you did when you were seven years old. Don't hang your hat on that granddaddy was a preacher, okay? Don't hang your hat on the fact that you've gone to church all your life. The question is this. Are you in whoever believes or whoever does not? And let me just say this. You could be a Christian killer, and God can save you. You see, there's not one person that can't be saved by the grace of God. If he believes, he will receive the grace of Jesus. There isn't one he can't save. God values every single one of us. Even those people that at some point in our life, maybe somebody taught us those were bad people and we're racist toward that group of people or it's somebody that we think is an awful person because of the posts that they make behind a keyboard. Folks, let me, let me just tell you something. Those people who we think are awful people, maybe they've done awful things, God made them, and he loves them, and he sent Jesus for them, just like he did for you. Maybe you're that person. Maybe you're sitting here today, and you're going, man, I'm just telling you, you don't know what I've done in my life. There's no way God wants me back. There's no way that he's going to take me in. I'm here to tell you, that's a lie, and don't buy it. God loves you, and he wants to save you, 
and he wants to redeem you, and he wants to restore you for his purpose, which is to make him known. Do you know why that is? Do you know why that's the purpose for our lives? The reason that that's the purpose for our lives, and not that it's because we want to get rich, or we want to be successful, or we want to have this family, or we want to have this house, or we want to do this thing, or this job. It's because he's got the best thing going. He's got salvation, and so he wants the world to point back so that they would be whoever believes. That's the reason. That's the reason that our purpose in life is to glorify God so that other people would know Jesus because they know us. That means eating some crow sometimes. It means going, oh man, God has put me in the lives of some crazy people, right? You've got some crazy people in your life, right? You're friends with people on Facebook and you're going, I don't know why we're even friends. I'm thinking about unfriending them. They drive me nuts. I don't believe anything they believe. I don't see anything the way they see it. They're just wrong and they're stupid and they're awful people and all this stuff. And yet for some reason, God's put you in their life. Their life his glory. We got a guy here at church, and I'm going to end on this, a friend of mine, who he's openly shared some of his story with our students, and uh, he's openly shared it with a bunch of the men here at church and things too. He doesn't just broadcast it all the time. Uh, you know it's interesting when, you know, you shoot a baptism video with somebody, and uh, and they, they ask you, can you please not put that on the internet? There's probably still people out there that would like to find me. And I was like, okay. Um, he, if anybody, could understand, maybe more so the, of people that I know personally, he could more understand maybe what Paul felt like to receive God's grace considering what his life had been like uh, because he has actually killed somebody. He used to... Um, work for, um, I'm going to try not to use too many terms here on purpose. Uh, he used to work for organized crime in uh, uh, delivering drugs back and forth across the Mexican border. Um, in the midst of some of that, found his way into a Mexican jail after killing somebody. Um, his story goes on and on. When we go eat hot chicken together and we're in the car we can drive by places that he points out to me and goes, I was in a gunfight right there one time, and then goes into this long, you know, here's what, how that looked, and I'm like, okay, cool. I'm glad we're cool, I'm, you know? <laughs> Let me tell you something. He has seen a lot of stuff, and he's got a lot of great stories, some of them not great stories. The best story he's got is the one where God has come to him and has saved him from every bit of that. Scripture teaches that when we believe and trust in Jesus that our sin is not just forgiven. It is thrown as far as the east is to the west. We're the ones that hold on to it because <laughs> he doesn't. Because from that moment forward, when he sees us, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. That's amazing. He sees the perfection of Jesus.
Folks, maybe it's that God is speaking to you today to say there are people in your life that you need to pray about, you need to pray for, that need, need the Lord, that he's going to use you. I know, I know, know what you're thinking. Like, I'll, I'll pray for them. I don't know that I'm going to talk to them about it, but I'll start praying for them. No, I'm, I'm going to tell you, you start praying for it, and God's going to give you opportunities. You're going to get one of those layups for the gospel, okay? So just be ready for it. Just love, love people well. Even the knuckleheads, even the ones that don't agree with everything or whatever, you know. If you're a believer, that's where our heart needs to be, is what's it look like for us to actively pursue leading others to Jesus? And maybe you're here today and you're not a believer and you just know automatically I'm not a believer. I've never trusted in Jesus or I did something a long time ago and I've got all kinds of doubt of whether or not that was real. I don't know if I've ever really believed. Let me just tell you what. Today is the perfect day. If God is speaking to your heart today and he's saying, look, I love you, come to me. You know a lot about me, but you don't know me. Let today be the day that you know him. Let him change your life forever. In the next few moments, we're going to remember and observe what God has done through sending his son Jesus. Spend this time seeking the Lord, remembering what Christ has done and who God is with his marvelous grace. No one is so far away that the grace of God can't save them. Let's pray. God, we come to you and we just ask, Lord, for more of your grace on our lives. God, we just ask, Lord, that you would help us to trust and believe wholeheartedly in what you've done through your son Jesus. God, that you would use us in the lives of others. God, as you're laying the faces of people on our hearts right now, God, we lift those people up to you, God. Do a work in their life that they may know you. God, lead us, guide us to be the people that you've called us to be as your church, pushing each other towards you. God, help us to know and believe and trust in what that looks like. God, we love you and we thank you for what you've done through your son, Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.